in a court of law. Uh, if, you, if you do not have an attorney, one can be appointed for you. <laughs> I'm, just just playing. I'm just playing. No, not those. Not those. Those over there. No, not those. The ones in the hallway. The other ones. No, the other ones. No, the other ones. No, the other ones. No, the other. The other other ones. <laughs> well, does anyone have a prayer request tonight, Brother Danny? Uh, Someone named Cusper came to work and they said their dad's worked there. named Johnny Stone. Johnny Stone. I don't exactly what. Okay. There's a man named Johnny Stone, co-worker of Brother Danny's, that needs healing. Yes, sir. So I remember my friend Tino Salcido. In Jesus' name, if we seek him, we'll find him. Amen. Brother. My grandson. Welcome back. My grandson, Brian. Grandson, Brian. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. My friend Cammie, she may have no cancer. Oh, dear Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Okay. We know a healer. Amen. We know a healer. For all of these needs, I need a healing touch tonight. I'm not feeling great. Just kind of sinus junk messing me up. Yes, ma'am, Sister Cooper. I have a place to put my uh, first cousin, Cammie. She did get her pick line in. Everything is going well. They just wait on heart. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, let's all lift our voices together and ask the Lord to minister to our needs and minister to our class. Father, we thank you that by your stripes we're healed at Calvary. Lord, the atonement was done. The work was finished. And Lord, let your healing go forth and minister to every need that was petitioned of you tonight. Lord, we bind together in agreement that what we have bound here in earth, you're binding in heaven right now, Lord, and that you're sending your word forth and ministering to those that have a need in their body. Lord, we command every sickness to depart from the people of God and from those that are seeking you, Lord. Let them find you. Lord, you said if we seek, we'll find, Lord. You said that in these last days, if you be lifted up, Lord, you'll be drawn. You'll draw men unto you, Lord. Draw, Lord. Draw through my brother, Lord. Draw that man to you that's seeking you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, Lord, let us find more of you as we endeavor to learn tonight. The, the lotion kodesh, that holy tongue. Lord, anoint my lips with clay. Anoint the ears of the hearer, Lord. And let us magnify and exalt you with all that we do tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, your word declares that you fill the hungry with good things, Lord. And blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled, Lord. If we're going to hunger for anything, Lord, let us hunger for you. If we're going to thirst after anything, Lord, give us those living waters that we may not ever thirst again, Lord. In Jesus' name, Lord, help us to magnify and exalt you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, we honor you, God, and we give you the praise. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Everybody say amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. As I said at the onset, we'll just skip the Aleph bet because I've got about this much stuff and about that much time. And so we're going to do our best to get through it and give it the justice that it deserves. Amen. Amen. So, so without any further ado, let's go ahead and, and begin with some of our terms. I've given you three terms this week. And um, you'll, you'll see how these terms just go right together. Sefer. Everybody say Sefer. Sefer, sefer means book. So you would say Sefer Bereshis is book of Genesis. Okay. Sefer Bereshis, book of Genesis. So Sefer means book. It's what you would call a book of the Bible. Okay. A parashas. This is not a common English term. Parashas is a Torah portion. So there, you know, when you flip through your Bible, a lot of times you'll have kind of section headings, breaks up different stories and whatever else. Theirs are lengthier, longer, and they have a weekly Torah portion that they go 52 weeks of the year so that they'll read the entire Torah. 
and it's broken up into obviously longer divisions. Uh, Bereshis is not only a book, Bereshis is also a parasha, so it would cover the entire creation story. So a parasha is a Torah portion. And they do, as I said, a weekly parasha, a weekly Torah portion. Last one, anybody want to guess what this last one is? Pasuk, pasuk. Or pasukim would be verses, so pasuk is verse. Pasuk is verse. Pasuk is verse. All right. Shall we go? Any questions so far? Okay, this first word on our list is bo. 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 Bo and arrow. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> bo. In Hebrew, bo means come. 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 In Spanish, venga. Venga. Come. Bo. All right, this one, this is actually not a Hebrew word. This is an ancient Egyptian word that there is no Hebrew word for. Baro. Baro, which is Pharaoh. Baro. Pharaoh. Or literally, what it means in ancient Egyptian is great house. Paro means great house in ancient Egyptian. But if a Hebrew uses it, Paro means Pharaoh. Pesach. Pesach. This is means literally skip over, skip over, but it is the term used for Passover. Pesach is Passover. All right, this word here, the letter Dalit in Mem Sofit is the word Dam, Dam, which means blood. It's a little interesting tidbit here. It's the root word for the name Adam. So if you have Aleph in front of the word, it means first, blood. So he is the first of our bloodline, the first of our lineage. So he is Adam, the first blood. We're a beginning of the bloodline, Adam. Now, Palestine. When I say this word, you're going to be like, yeah, Philistines, the Philistines. Palestine are the Philistines. The Hebrew, the root word for this means to migrate or invade. Philistine, Palestine, or the Philistines. Okay, now, Zachor, Zachor means remember. Remember, Zachor, remember. Now, this is a name, Yitro, Yitro, Jethro. Moses' father-in-law. And his name means abundance. Abundance. All right. Next word. Anybody want to give a guess how to pronounce that one? Good, good. Y'all are close. Yichad. 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 That means rejoice. Rejoice. Or literally, goose flesh. Wow. Goose flesh. Goose flesh. Goose flesh. Oh, cool. And we'll get into that why. We'll get into that. We'll get into why that's significant tonight. Ahava. No, I skipped one. Sorry. Chesed. Chesed. Chesed means kindness. Because of the chesed of Hashem. He didn't kill us. Amen. 
because of his because of his chesed, he did not wipe us out, and because of his ahava, his love, ahava means love. Okay, this next to last word is mitzvot. Mitzvot. Mitzvot means commandments. Mitzvot is commandments. Or you would say mitzvah for commandment if it was singular. But when you're speaking of the commandments, it's mitzvot. And last one is mishpatim. Mishpatim. Which means ordinances, judgments, or laws. There's a difference, and we'll get into the difference later. So mishpatim means ordinances, judgments, or laws. Okay, like I said, lots to cover, but I'm going to give you your money's worth. Amen? (laughs) So last week, anyone remember Moses? Moshe? Moshe Ravenu? Moses, our teacher? We covered him getting the memorial name of God, Eye, Esher, Eye, I am that I am. And so we covered the Shema. Anybody memorize it from last week? Anybody want to give it a shot? Here is the Lord our God, one Lord. Very good, English. Yes. Very good, English. Look at Pastor. Look at Pastor. That's all right. You, hey, you memorized it. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Ohenu, Adonai Echad, right? Shema, the Shema. Okay. So we know, we learned last week that it is more significant than just a declaration of one true God. Amen. We learned last week that there's significance built into the way that that pasuk, the verse is written, that it declares that there is one God and that we are to love him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And that through that we are to be his what? Witness. Right. Those two letters together. Aid means witness. So you put those together. It's in the Shema. Okay, tonight we're going to pick up with Moses and Hashem's instructions to him in Exodus 10. So if you've got your Bible and you want to go there, go ahead. We'll go to Exodus 10. Start with verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart, and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him, and that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that ye may know how that I am the Lord. So everybody say, go. 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 So what the Lord says, according to the English translation is, let's say, for example, if Pharaoh's in that room, the Lord is telling Moses, go over there, go to him. It's a poor translation. Because in Hebrew, the word bo means come. And so in in Exodus, that word really says, come unto Pharaoh. And now there's a big difference between God sending Moses and God calling Moses. Hey, Moses, I'm already dealing with Pharaoh. Come to him. I've already hardened his heart. I already know what I'm going to do with him. Don't just go to him, but come because I'm there and I'm waiting. I'm waiting and I'm working, Moses. Come. It's totally, completely different. It's not go. Come. Come to Pharaoh. 
come to Pharaoh, come to where I am. And so it's a huge difference. So basically go is like ascending him versus come. I'm already there. And now I'm waiting on you, Moses, to get here so that I can manifest the work that I've already begun. I've already been dealing with Pharaoh and I know what I'm going to do, but now I need a human vehicle to make it come to pass. Amen. And so it's awesome because if you think about it, when we read in the English translation, go unto Pharaoh, it almost sounds as if Moses is having to go it alone. But when you read it in Hebrew, the Lord's already been dealing, the Lord's already been working, and now the Lord is waiting on Moses to get there to the place that he's already been prepared. Amen. Don't forget that. Huge difference. That huge, huge difference. Come wow. unto Pharaoh. Bo, bo, baro. Wow. It's huge. Very, very, very significant. So now, uh, now that we've got that jaw-dropping moment, uh, Pharaoh's heart is, of course, hardened, and we know that he would not let the people go. But all of this was done so that the Lord could manifest his miracles. And in those miracles, I know you've, you've probably heard this before, but all those miracles were an attack on every Egyptian deity. One by one, they all attacked every Egyptian god that Pharaoh would have worshipped, that his courts would have worshipped, that the Egyptians would have worshipped, so that by the time the children of Israel were leaving, there would be no doubt about it, about who the Lord really was. Um, and so there is this, there's this concept that all of Egypt could see it except for Pharaoh, whose heart was hardened. That all of Egypt could see that they were losing, essentially, but Pharaoh was hardened so much to the fact that he could not tell that they were losing. And so it's, it's likened to um, um, basically the, the spirit of Egypt or the spirit of Pharaoh that says, no, I'm not letting you go. And it's like a convert that comes into the church and God begins to deal and they want to begin to let some things go. But there's some things they say, no, I'm not letting you go. Spirit of rebellion. That's, it's the it's spirit of Egypt. It's the spirit of the world. And so there's this tendency to hold on to those things. And it's like Pharaoh trying to hold on. Because you know every, every time the, the Lord would deal with him, he would begin to acquiesce just a little bit more than the time before. He would say, okay, fine. Not only the men, but the men and the women. Y'all can go. Okay, that's fine. But you can only go so far. And then I'm expecting you to come back. Okay, well, fine. You can take everybody, but don't take any sacrifice, okay? Okay, fine. You need the sacrifice. Okay, you can take these. And then so you see this progression, right? That every time the Lord attacks... And shows these signs and these wonders and these miracles. They relent a little bit. But then even at the end, his heart remains hardened because he still relents and recants and wants to go back after them. And so that same spirit is at work in the lost today to where they're okay letting go of some things, but they're not willing to let go of everything. And, and you see it because it's like Pharaoh himself would not completely surrender to God. Where people in the world today are not willing to completely surrender to God. Like they've got these boundaries, right? It's Eretz Mitzrayim, the land of Egypt where, okay, fine, I'll let you go only so far. But I'm not going to let you go beyond my boundaries. I'm not going to let you push me beyond my comfort zone because this is where I live and this is what I'm used to and, and this, is, this is just what it's going to be. And so that, that battle plagues people today where I've not yet completely surrendered myself and my pride prevents me from completely giving in. And so there's this bargaining spirit, right? We'll say, okay, fine, I'll give up this, but I'm not going to give up this. And if I do this, then I want you to do this. Wow. Negotiating, right, with God. You can't negotiate with God. His terms are his terms, and that's it. 
But that's what the that's what the world around us wants to do. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of Christians quote Christians want to do. They want to bargain. They want to say, "Okay, well, Lord, I'll serve you on Sunday. But on Monday, I'm going back into Israel. I'm going back into Egypt. And that's kind of like what what Pharaoh told them is, "Okay, you can go to worship your Lord, but then you're coming back. You can go on Sunday. But on Monday, I want you living the lifestyle that you used to live previously. And so that spirit here's a good prayer for for lost people in general uh, lost loved ones i guess in particular would be that the spirit of egypt would let them go that they may serve the lord that the spirit of egypt would let them go so that they may serve the lord right that's what moses told pharaoh let my people go so that they may serve me amen and here's what uh here's what the lord says in in shamos what is shamos anybody recall shamos Exodus, Shamos. These are the names, right? These are the names. Exodus 4 and 22 says, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. And so because of Pharaoh's hardened heart, we know he wouldn't let God's people go. They wouldn't let the firstborn, Israel. He wouldn't let Israel go. And so God's true to his word, amen? Amen. What he promises to perform, he's going to perform. And so we know that when the Lord told told Pharaoh, if you don't, then I will. If you do, then you'll, you'll live. But he didn't. And so these nine plagues and these judgments begin to fall upon the children of, um, along Pharaoh and those people, the Egyptians. And, and basically, we reach Exodus 12, and it's the Passover. It's the Pesach. And it's like God is telling them, okay, fine, Pharaoh, you won't let my firstborn go. So now I'm going to take your firstborn. And, we, and this is what it says in Shamos 12, 12 through 13. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And the first Corinthians five and seven declares to us that Christ is our Passover. It's Christ, our Passover, it's plain. And so when we get baptized into his name, we get the blood applied. That is the application of the blood of Jesus upon the doorposts and the lentils of our house. Amen. And so that when the death angel comes to sweep over, it sees the blood and not the sin. Amen. And so that's a token upon us. And so when there's a plague that gets sent into the world, if you've got the blood upon you, amen, he's going to pass over you just like he did then. So he sees the blood and not the sin. And then Exodus 12, 29 and 30 says, and it came to pass that at midnight, the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where there was not one dead. I mean, imagine except for the houses where the blood was applied, there was not one dead. There was not a house where not one was dead. Every single house was affected. And that night, Pharaoh sends them away. And and I like the way the Bible puts it because it says they spoiled the Egyptians. 
Because it's like finally Pharaoh got to a point where he's like, you know what? Just go. Get out. Take everything with you you can take. Take all of our cattle. Take our gold. Take our silver. Take the, you need changes of clothes? Take my suitcase. Go on and, and get, get out. Go. It's like they couldn't get fast, get out fast enough for Pharaoh after that. Because I think, it, you know, obviously, finally, it reached a point with Pharaoh where, okay, all right, fine. You win. You win. Okay. And so it came to pass that selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. So in 430 years of captivity came to an end one night. Jailbreak. You know, millions, millions of people came out of Egypt in one night. Man, to have that kind of a revival. Amen. So they're on their way out. And then we're going to pick up at Exodus 13, 17, and 18. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, God led them not through the way of the the Philistines. Remember the Palestine, although that was near. So there's a way that was closer, but God chose not to lead them out that way. God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. So there's this first mention of these Philistines, the Palestine. This first mention here of these people we discussed, they're they're basically nomad. They're they're like Vikings, like modern, well, more modern, I guess, than Vikings, nomads, warriors, conquerors. And so they're a warring nation, and you've got people that have been slaves for 430 years, so they're not people of war. They're mostly bricklayers and farmers, right? And so they've never seen war, probably never seen weapons. And so God's thought process was like, oh my goodness, if I lead them the easy way, they're going to immediately meet a warring culture. And what's going to keep them from going back? Nothing. So they're going to see this people. They're going to repent, turn their backs on the war and go right back into Egypt. And so... Um, Naturally, you've got this one culture, they're warriors, another one that's slaves. And and these verses, we can tell there's a long way and there's a short way. There's a long way and a short way. There's still a long way and a short way. Amen. And so um, because of that danger, again, God says, I'm going to send them the way through the Red Sea. And it's still not a peaceful route, as we would read further, that it says that they're going to encounter the Amalekites, the children of Amalek. They're still going to have war. But it's going to be with a different group of people. And so, um, so you got war to the north. You've got war to the south. That tells us that either way, you're going to try to leave Egypt. You're going to not leave without a fight. Yeah. You're going to have a fight when you try to leave Egypt. There's going to be some things that try to grab hold of you and bring you back. There's going to be some things that you face that try to send you back running to the world that you came out of. But either way, you're going to have a fight. But this is the difference because to the north, there's no physical boundary. To the north, there's nothing to stop them. It's just land. They can pass over on dry land with nothing in front of them. But the bad thing is, it also puts nothing behind them. Okay? To the south, Egypt gets behind them, but there's also water. Because they've got to cross through the Red Sea. So basically it says, I'm going to get you out of Egypt, and you're going to have to go through the water to really get out of Egypt. And when you get through the water, if you want to go back, you have to swim. You're going to have to go back across that water you just came out of, but I'm not opening it for you. I'm not going to make it easy on you. You're going back on your own effort. Okay, so there's this water, this natural boundary 
that that yes, to the South, there's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. It was still hard. when I, I remember when I first was converted, it was hard. It was hard because there were still things of the world trying to reach for me, trying to grab at me. But thank God for the water. Yeah. Thank God that he put that water between me and it. Yeah. Amen. That when Pharaoh's armies tried to come after me and tried to reach for me, they were drowned. Amen. Yeah. And so what's there, it, it's not only there to keep you from turning back, but it's there to swallow your past. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And so Pharaoh's army is swallowed up. And it's a picture of the gospel that we must obey the gospel. You can't just believe the gospel because they could have believed and gone easy. But they had to obey and go through. There had to be an obedient act, an act of obedience to go through the Red Sea. Amen. And so there, there's repentance when they turn their backs on Egypt. There's right before they get to the Red Sea, it's a place called Sukkot. And that's where the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud appeared first time. And so what's that representative of? Spirit. Okay. So it's also indicative that you can have the spirit before you cross through the water. You can have the, have the spirit and still not ever cross the water. But you've got to have the spirit and you've got to go through the water. Amen. You've got to have both. So that pillar follows them through onto the other side and then they wander. Amen. And so the gospel is repentance, water, baptism, spirit, baptism. That's the conversion. Amen. Amen. And so there's this. It, it's awesome because, you know, the, the, how did the Red Sea part? It says by the blast of his nostrils. And so there's ruach, there's breath. There's breath, right? Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Ghost. So you've got repentance, you got water, and you got breath, spirit. That's good. Yeah. Take a <laughs> I can't, I don't know how you can deny that you don't need all three. But once you know the truth, amen, the truth makes you free. It's hard to believe what people believe, or they're delusional. But, but you've got to turn your back on Egypt. Then you've got to go through the water, and it's done by the spirit. Amen. You're led by the spirit when you come onto the other side of that water. Amen. Amen. And so that wind was blowing at their back, also compelling them to keep going. Keep, keep going. Don't just stop barely on the other side of that water, but keep going. I'm leading you somewhere. Let the spirit lead. Amen. And so they make this crossing of the Red Sea and they meet Amalek. Um, because they didn't go north because they would have met the Philistines, but they, they meet Amalek and they have war anyways. But here's the difference. Because we don't know if they would have gone to the north that the Lord would have fought with them. But we know that when they've gone through the water and the spirit has led them and they meet war, God fights for them. And so this is what it says in Exodus 17, 14 and 16. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven and Moses built an altar and called the name of it Adonai Nisi for he said because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation so if you go the way that I'm going to lead you I'm going to fight your battles Children of Israel now have been led out of Egypt in Exodus 18. And we learn a little bit more about this man, Moses' father-in-law, Yithro or Jethro. How much time do we have? Actually, I think I want to interject something. I think I might be okay. 
So remember what he said, that, that the Lord said, the Lord said, everybody say the Lord said, the Lord, the Lord said, I will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. He didn't say you will. He said, I will. But we know they did. But who fought for him? Wow, that's good, man. Okay. I will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And so we know King Saul, first king of Israel that Samuel anointed. He was supposed to kill Agag, who was what? An Amalekite. Okay. He didn't do it. He, he left him alive. He left the best of the sheep, the best of the oxen, all that stuff alive because he thought it would be good. That's what happens when we think amen, and not obey. So he locks the king up in a cage and Samuel comes and, and he says, well, blessed be thou of the Lord. I've done the, what the word of the Lord commanded me. And Samuel says, well, what is the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? What's that mean? Uh, well, the people <laughs> said they wanted to keep this stuff. Well, Samuel lets him out of the cage and then it says he hews him to pieces. He takes his sword and just cuts him up, flays him. He's done. But at this point in time, Amalek's already got a lineage. Okay, there's, 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 there's progeny out of his loins. And so there's Amalek continuing. And so you fast forward to Esther and there's Haman, the man Haman, who wanted to do what? He wanted to kill the Jews, right? And so he is an Agagite. Haman is an Agagite. So he's of the same lineage, an Amalekite, an Agagite, into where Esther is in Persia. And he's trying to kill the Jews. But who said, I will have war? Okay, so Esther, there's this, there's this time in Esther where she makes a, it seems like when you read it, like she's talking to her husband now, Ahasuerus, the king, right? Remember when Jesus said, when, when the, the young servant came up to him and he said, a good master, what shall I do? And Jesus said, what? Don't call me good. We don't call anybody good but one, and that's God. And that's true. The Jews don't call anybody good but God. And so Esther, it seems like when we read it that she's talking to the king, she says, Melech Tov, good king, avenge me of my adversaries. Let them be hanged. So what she's saying is, good king, avenge me of my adversary. And so the next day, Haman and all of his, his counterparts are hanged. But he's also got an heritage. So they flee and they leave to a place called Yermania, which is modern day Germany. Okay, and you fast forward to the 1930s and 40s, and there's Hitler, and he goes against the Jews. He is an Agagite. And so he's got this bloodline that's flowing through him that I'm gonna have war with you from generation to generation. And so at, towards the end of the war, you know, Hitler is, Hitler, I guess, commits suicide and his, his top generals are on trial, the Nuremberg trials. And um, the court basically says, well, they're soldiers, so they deserve to die, but let's put them to death, a soldier's death. They're gonna be, they're gonna be put to death by firing squad. Well, somebody steps up and says, these men are not soldiers. These are common criminals that have killed millions of people. And one of them says, let them be hanged. And the next day, they were all hung. From generation to generation, I will have war with Amalek. And so when that spirit of Antichrist begins to rise again and tries to kill God's people, good king, avenge me of my adversaries. Feel the Holy Ghost. Wow. Whew. Whew. 
Amen. So, Yithro, everybody say Yithro. Jethro is Moses' father-in-law, who we know sends Moses off to go and do his deal with Pharaoh while he keeps Moses' wife and the sons. And as they're coming back out, um, we, we learn this. It says something about Yitro that's interesting, um, that he was a priest of Midian. He was a priest of Midian. Well, what does that mean? Well, at one point in time, he was a priest of Pharaoh's. He was a priest of Pharaoh's. In, in Pharaoh's most inner court, he was one of Pharaoh's priests. And he had, as his, word, as his name indicates, he was very wise. In fact, so wise that he had basically all knowledge of all of the, the, the false uh, Egyptian gods and all of the idols of the time. And so um, his name, remember, means abundance. So remember, it's this same man that when Moses starts beginning having problems with, with making decisions and leading, that he's the one that says, you take too much onto yourself. What you need to do is appoint some leaders and let them begin to handle the people's problems. And if there's a problem they can't answer, let them bring it to you. He's wise, very wise. And so um, he comes to this realization, though, in Egypt that these idols that they worship are not the true living God. He comes to that realization. And so you would kind of call, I guess, Yithro like a, a chronic seeker, like, like somebody that goes from religion to religion trying to find what's true, what's real, right? Something real, something I can feel. And so he, he's come into this realization that Egyptian gods are no gods at all. And, of course, you can't be a chief priest for Pharaoh and not worship his gods. And so he gets sent. He gets sent away. Um, and there, there's where he ends up in Midian. He's exiled to Midian. And he was very influential because those that, those that followed him, followed him. They left. And there's, a, there's, a, there's still a religion, a sect of religion. Not the Jews, but the Druze, D-R-U-Z-E, who still follow the basis of his religion. Um, and so he's exiled to Midian and he's still seeking. And so in Exodus 18, starting with verse five, it says in Jethro, Moses's father-in-law came with his sons, Moses's sons and his wife, Moses's wife into the wilderness where he encamped at the Mount of God. And he said unto Moses, I, thy father-in-law Jethro and come unto thee and thy wife and her two sons with her. And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and did obeisance and kissed him. Remember that holy kiss? Greet one another with a holy kiss. There it is. They're reconciled. There's nothing between us. It's all good. So he kissed him and they asked each other of their welfare and they came into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law, this is powerful. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And all the travail that had come upon them by the way. And how the Lord delivered them. And it says, And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. Rejoiced means, whew, he got goosebumps. When Moses began to tell Jethro what God had done to the Egyptians and how good he was, he felt the Holy Ghost. You know, when you feel the Holy Ghost, when you're talking to somebody and that the goosebumps rise up on your skin, that's what happened to Jethro. So he might be the first person that we ever read in Scripture that experienced that. Yichad, he got goose flesh, goosebumps, glory bumps, whatever you want to call them. He felt that when he got that account from Moses about what happened. And so um, he gets this news of God's great deliverance and this victory, and he gets goosebumps. And so this chronic seeker, because of what he's heard and what he's now felt. Listen, it says, Jethro says, blessed be the Lord. 
Blessed be the Lord who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of Pharaoh, out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 11. He says, Now I know. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Because now I've not only seen what he did, but I felt him. I feel him. Amen. I feel him right now. Mm. All these other gods and these idols and these deities that I knew well about, I never felt them. And they never did anything. But now I've met one that's not only done stuff, but I can feel him. And he says, (laughs) he says, for in the thing wherein they dealt proudly, he was above them. Because Egyptians were proud of all of their gods and all of their deities, right? But he says that God has dealt above them. So was Jethro an Egyptian? At one point in time. At one point in time. Sorry? Jethro? Jethro, well, because, I mean, I would imagine if he was in Pharaoh's court as one of his magicians, one of his soothsayers, one of his chief idol people, he must have been an Egyptian and then sent away to Midian because he no longer worshipped those gods. It says in Jethro, verse 12, Moses, his father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came and all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, his father-in-law, before God. And the day that he got goose flesh, he became a convert. Let's see. Uh, I want to cover this. So mitzvot was commandments. Mitzvot is commandments, right? Mitzvah would be one singular commandment. Uh, I think we're doing good. I'm glad. So there are 613 total mitzvot in Scripture. 613 total commandments in Scripture. There are 365 negative commandments. When I say negative, I mean thou shalt not. 365 thou shalt nots. 248 thou shalt. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart. You know, old and new, or just the Torah? Torah. What do you say about the pomegranate? Yes. Oh, the pomegranate. So the priest was to wear a bell and a pomegranate around his garment, right? And the reason they use a pomegranate is because it's believed that inside of a pomegranate, there are 613 seeds. So they would remind them of every law that God gave them. Every time that priest would look down and see a pomegranate, it would remind them of the law. Thou shalt, 248. And then 365 negative. And there was only one in Eden and we couldn't keep it. Just one and we couldn't keep it. Amen? So I have a question. How should you and I, how should we view the thou shalt nots? How should we view the thou shalt nots? Sorry? It's one for every day of the year. It is. Interestingly, though, in our calendar, in their calendar, it's more than one a day because they have 360 days. So they do 30 day, basically, because of lunar lunar calendar. Mm-hmm. This is a little different than our. OK, so how should we view a thou shalt not? 
So mitzvah, mitzvot, has a meaning that basically infers something being joined or connected to something else. Okay? So how some may view a commandment when they hear thou shalt not as a restriction, and they interpret it as I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do that. Our obedience to mitzvot actually shows connection to him. Because it's not about a thou shalt not. It's about you're going to be connected to me. And to show that you're connected, you're going to obey me. Because in mitzvot means connection. So how can they know that we're connected except for walking in obedience? So some may view these restrictions. Some may view these as restrictions rather. But they're not bondage. They're not restriction, they're connection. They are connection. Mitzvot means connection between us and Adonai. So if mitzvot are commandments, what are mishpatim? Laws, ordinances, etc. What are mishpatim? There's a difference. Excuse me, I chew on my cough drop. There's a difference between commandments and ordinances. There's a difference. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and 5, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Of course, when Paul writes this to Timothy, there's not a compiled New Testament for him to be referring to. So what's Paul referring to? The Torah. He's telling Timothy, Timothy, you make sure that you rightly divide the Torah. Make sure you rightly divide God's word. And so Rightly divide, Timothy, between ordinances and commandments. Rightly divide, Timothy. Because this is what Paul wrote to the Colossians. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Well, what was nailed to the cross? He didn't nail the law to the cross. He nailed the punishment to the cross. The punishment for breaking Torah is what Jesus nailed to the cross. Because the law was still good. The law was holy, just, and good. If a man used it lawfully, right? But we couldn't use it lawfully, and so we were all guilty. Because if you break one, you're guilty of all. And so he took the ordinances, which are the punishment for breaking Torah. He took the ordinances and nailed them to the cross. Wow. So what does that mean? That the ordinances that were against us, the punishment of transgressing the law was nailed to the cross. He who knew no sin, did no sin, became sin, right? Nailed it to the cross. So it's still what that means is it's still not okay, obviously, to sin. There are still commandments, but the ordinance... The punishment for breaking that was already there. So it didn't nullify the law, but what it did was it removed the ordinances. Especially especially those that the laws that when violated were punishable by death. That those laws that said put them to death, stone them, 
right? When that woman was caught in the act of adultery and Jesus said, woman, where are your accusers? She said, Lord, I have none. Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Why? Because he was getting ready to take care of that punishment of death. Their punishment's already been meted out. Okay. And right now, we're still under that dispensation where grace still atones for it. But if they don't get the atonement for it, and they face it at judgment, so this, uh, you know, some men's sins are open beforehand, some men's sins follow after. So when you and me have been put under the blood, our sins have been dealt with. But when we're not under the blood, and our sins are not under the blood, when we appear before judgment, those sins follow after. And so when we stand before the throne of judgment, and the Lord says... Well, I see what you've done. And there's been no atonement for what you've done because that dispensation is passed. I'm no longer on my seat of mercy, but now I'm on the seat of judgment. Now I'm going to judge you according to your deeds. So, you know, the law said stone her, but Jesus said let her go. Because he, law, he, he, he took that ordinance, that punishment, and nailed it to the cross. All right, one more thing, one more thing. So chapter 24, Exodus, it gives basically a, a confirming of the covenant. And so let's read Exodus, Shamos 24 and 7. It's talking about Moses. He took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. Literally, we read audience like you would in this class, you would be my audience. And so when we read that, we think that basically Moses is just standing up and reading into the audience. He's just reading this over them. But what it means in Hebrew is into their ears. Is that when Moses read this, it went into their ears. Like Shema, right? It went into their ears. So he's reading this into the ears of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. We will do and be obedient. So in, in Hebrew, the response of the people is we will Asa, and we will Shema. We will Asa, and we will Shema. And so Asa means, literally, we'll do it. We'll do it. And the order is very important. Because to our culture, this almost would seem like it's backwards. Because what Shema means in this case is understand. And so what they're telling Moses is, Moses, you've just read the book of the law to us, and we're still kind of ignorant. Remember, we've really just met God. And so you've read us a bunch of things that we don't understand, but despite our lack of understanding, we're going to do them. We're going to do it before we even understand it, Moses. But we as a culture in general want to understand before we'll do Explain it to me. Tell me why. What's the consequence if I don't? Is this a heaven or hell issue? I mean, I'm, I'm digging in somebody's <laughs> right now, but, but that's okay. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's okay. It's all right. Yes, sir. So there, there, is, there is a time and a place for understanding, but according to Scripture, it's after you've already begun to do. That if God said it is, then it is, and it's settled. And if God said it's not, it's not, and it's settled. 
that we don't have to gain full understanding before we will begin to do the things that God commands. Amen. It's like, I'll liken it to this. When I first met my wife, we were in college and, and I, I believed in God, but to what extent I didn't know. I just believed there was God. And, and I would be like Jethro. I, I was kind of a chronic seeker, but never went out of my way to seek. <laughs> Amen. I was like, you know, I believe there was a Lord out there, there's a God out there. And I just, I was just kind of ignorant. And in my own way that I could, I would pray every once in a while. But, you know, outside of that, maybe I went to Sunday school as a kid every once in a while, but, but nothing really. And then, and then I met that sweet curly-headed lady back there in calculus of all places. And uh, <laughs> you want a good wife? Meet her in calculus, I'm just saying. She's smart. <laughs> Anyways, um, so... Uh, and I'll just I'll tell you a funny story. So we had a test. The night I decided that I was going to ask her out, we had a test. And I was no good at calculus. And so I was like, man, you know, I'm going to fail this test anyways. And so she's super good at calculus. So like 10 minutes into it, it seemed like she's up and she's turning in that test. And I'm like, oh, well. And I turned it in and I followed her out and asked her on a date that night. We went on a date and here we are 18 years later. So anyways, she was a church girl. And I didn't know anything about church, but she said, hey, you want to go to church with me? And I said, yeah. And, and literally, when I said, yeah, she's like, really? <laughs> like, surprise. And I'm like, why are you so surprised you asked me? <laughs> you know? And I was like, yeah, I'll go. And so it wasn't two or three services in that the first time I walked in, it was like, you know, I talked about that residue of the spirit that's in us. Like, I walked into a, an apostolic, well, not apostolic, but it was a Holy Ghost-filled atmosphere. And there was that residue that said, this is home. This is, this is the spirit of your father that's working with you right here. And so the Lord did begin to deal. And it wasn't three weeks in that, that somebody asked me if I wanted to get baptized. And pastor, I didn't know everything about baptism. I didn't understand all of what repentance really meant. I didn't know what Jesus really meant when he said a man must be born again, born of water and of the spirit. I didn't know. I didn't understand. But you know what it didn't stop me from doing? Doing. That's right. I didn't have all of the understanding. But that night when I did, when I obeyed the word of the Lord, he remitted my sins. Amen. Weeks later, he filled me with the Holy Ghost, and I still didn't understand. But over years, because of my obedience, God has given understanding. And so I will challenge you that if you struggle with something because you don't understand it, why don't you just begin to obey it? Just make sure you get line upon line and precept upon precept, and God will begin to give you understanding. I promise you. I personally feel that it's impossible understand at that moment because you don't mind the things of the spirit that's right and you're only thinking about absolutely doing what god wants you to do or even listening to god or following after the spirit you don't know how to, there are other people you don't know it's no, foreign it's no foreign says that the spirit will teach you all things it's be the spirit will teach you all things he will guide you into yeah. all truth so if you ain't got the holy ghost then here and here's what we want to we want to gain a lot of book understanding yes I want to understand what all of the scripture means. I want to be like these guys that go to seminary and fill my head with head knowledge. But I've never obeyed the word of the Lord, right? And, yeah. and if you have the spirit of the one that wrote it in you, yeah. and you're reading it, he'll interpret, amen? And so anyways, uh, just don't, don't wait until you understand to do. Just step, we walk by faith, amen? We walk by faith. And so if you walk by faith into doing, understanding will come. I was just going to say something you said a minute ago. A lot of times in churches, and that's why we're doing deeper life and things like this, is we walk around like Jethro. Yeah. You know, just, oh, what can I get here? What can I get here? And, we don't and, go out of our way to, to study and get deeper. Yeah. You see, and this, this is, 
We're almost done because we, we do. We, I think you would agree with me that I say we all, not all of us, but in general, people want to understand before we'll do. You know, you want to get all the research done. You want to, you know, salvation is not like buying a car. Okay, you, you can't go to Kelly Blue Book and compare people's notes and, and experiences. Okay, I mean, there's only one way. I mean, if you were, there was only one car you could buy, then it'd be easy. And there's only one way. Amen. And so, but that's, that's not, you can't shop around religion. Amen. You can't shop it around. There's only one right way. It's the way. He is the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Amen. And so, but we want to treat it like we can pick, like Burger King, have it your way. You know, I want the meat. I want double meat. I want no onion. I don't want no tomato. Uh, you know, but, but that's not the way the word of God is. It's cut and dry. It's cut and dry. And so, so we should do first, even if we don't understand because the children of Israel may not have understood, guarantee I, they did not understand all of that law. They were, they were slaves. They didn't know. And, and here's God telling them, okay, when you begin to plow a field, don't put these kind of animals together. Why? Because I said so. <laughs> Amen? When, when you begin to plant crops and you run out of this, don't put these kind of crops in the same row. You've got to start another line. Why? Some of it's just because I said so. It's kind of like when we were kids. Yeah. And our parents tell us. Yeah. You know. I'm, I'm a firm believer that if I have a reason, I will tell them why. Yeah. If, there's, if there's a reason in particular that I do want you to do this or I don't want you to do this, and I have that reason, I give them the reason. But I give you two or three chances. Then if it becomes, well, why? Now, now it's because I said so, because I've already given you justification. I've given you my explanation. Yes. And so now just do it. Now just do it. And if you do it, you'll understand. There's a lot of things that as a kid or as a teenager, your parents probably told you that, hey, this, this may happen if you do this, this, and yada, 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 right? Instructions and just car stuff, whatever, life stuff. But until you experience it, you don't ever understand it. a lot of stuff in the word that until you begin to do it, you won't understand it. Amen. So they didn't know why obedience is better than sacrifice. So they didn't know why they couldn't, you know, there's a verse that says, don't, don't see the calf in its mother's milk. And so the rabbis later translated is that, okay, well you can't eat meat and dairy together. That's an application of the principle, but the, the, the wisdom principle is don't kill two generations at one time. Amen. But but Moses, we don't understand it, but we're going to do it. All that you've said, we will asa, and we will shema. We will do it, and we will obey it, and we will begin to understand it. Amen. Praise the Lord. We made it. We made it.